This podcast represents my opinion and the opinion of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I am not establishing a patient-physician relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions you may have. Welcome, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Not Your Doc podcast. I'm Vanessa. I'm here with our producer, Seth. We're in the uh, Midwest Institute for Hearts and Minds studios, of course. And we're back again with Mr. Doc, Mr. Not Your Doc himself, Dr. Charles Tadros. Yeah, get it right. Get yeah. it right. Sorry, I sorry. I make sure my titles are correct. I've only said it a few times. <laughs> um, Hi, everybody. <laughs> we are back with another very exciting guest today. Dr. Tadros has just been absolutely killing it with getting some great experts on to speak to us um, about healthcare related matters that affect all of us. Today mm-hmm. we're going to talk about mm-hmm. heart, cardiology, heart health. Yep. We all have, have hearts. Um and yeah, so Dr. Tadros, please take it away and introduce your guest to yeah, us. Yeah, sure. Hi George. Uh to my right is uh George Kachura. George uh, just uh, talked to us a few minutes about his background. Uh but uh, what he didn't say is that I came to know George because I inherited his clinic at John F. Kennedy Clinic at Mercy ah. whenever I became an, an intern, and he was a few years ahead of me. So he handed off a nice set of patients that were well cared for whenever I was just uh, right out of med school trying to figure out how to do things correctly. I never would have guessed that he's yeah. older than you. So, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> George, is, George is an interventional cardiologist and clinical lipidologist. Lipidologist means cholesterol uh, for the rest of us uh, commoners. Uh, here in St. Louis, and uh, he works at the St. Louis Heart and Vascular. He's a partner there. Um, he's also principal investigator and sub-investigator at St. Louis Heart and Vascular in the Department of Research. Uh, George has more board certifications than I know how to pronounce. He's board certified <laughs> because he's one of, unlike a lot of uh, docs who are sub-specialized, who let go of their general internal medicine. He's a true internist by training. He's an internal medicine and board certified, and also in cardiovascular disease as a cardiologist and other peripheral and, and other vascular disease. An interventional cardiologist, that means cardiac casts and, and stents and, 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 and peripheral va- valve placements, et cetera. And a lipidologist, that's the, the, the cholesterol panel uh, stuff that we all are going to talk about uh, today. He has a few dozen other things that qualify him to hang out with us, but he didn't even need even a fraction of these to come. He's always welcome yeah, here with us. Welcome, George. Well, thank you. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks so. for coming uh, this time. George is still in his scrubs because he's a working man, even though his kids are extremely successful, and so is his wife. Uh, George continues to work as if uh, there's no tomorrow. So he's a good role model for the rest of us who are goofing off like I am. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, George, I'm going to I'm going to pass it off to, to Vanessa to, to start us off. But uh, we're going to talk about a variety of things, but mainly primary care, uh, secondary uh, cardiovascular disease prevention. This is preventing heart attacks, the first heart attacks. And if you've had a first heart attack, how to prevent a second one. Um, and this stuff also applies to strokes and peripheral vascular disease, typically. Uh, so we're going to it's bigger than that. But we're going to we're going to try to focus on that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Primary prevention. Take it away, Dr. Kachura. What okay. is it? <laughs> yeah, okay. what is well, it? How do we do it? Yeah, what, what are we preventing exactly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, please. So I, the first thing to realize is the, the, the process, the disease process is called atherosclerosis. Mm-hmm. And all that is, a way to think about that is it's just a, kind of a buildup 
inside the artery walls, whether it's your heart, in your head, or in your legs, mm -hmm. or anywhere in the body, because the arteries are kind of the pathway mm -hmm. that bring the blood and oxygen and uh, the nutrients to your different cells throughout the body. Mm -hmm. But atherosclerosis is this process of building up plaque mm. inside the artery. It changes the artery. And that plaque can develop as early as your teenage years, sometimes Amen. even earlier. That's right. And it can progress over the course of your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And most people would say, well, I really don't care if I have this. <laughs> because if it doesn't cause me a problem, That's why right. should I care? I don't feel it. So it's, it's one of those disease processes that uh, if it doesn't cause you a problem, I really don't care if I have it. Out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is, so Is plaque the direct result of what you're eating? How, do, how does plaque... So, accumulate where so does it the, come from so the, that's a great question uh, we it, it it tends to occur at points of turbulence of blood flow mm -hmm. ah. at branches um and at certain parts of the artery whether again in the heart the legs or in the head with car or carotid arteries in the neck mm -hmm. and um it it, it can occur we don't know why it occurs at those particular points, but we do know that there tends to be more turbulence in those areas. And whether that is a stimulant to, to create the process going on inside the artery wall, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a kind of a simplistic understanding of why it occurs there. So let me jump back because I'm, I'm points of clarification. George uh, knows what he's talking about. I just need to catch up. I grew up in old, old days, arteriosclerosis versus atherosclerosis. Arteriosclerosis was, is an old term. Is it for bigger arteries or macro, so, big yeah. macro stuff? So the arteriosclerosis is more implied kind of a more of like a um, fibrosis or ah. more of a constriction because the arteries can get stiff or, ah. or um, uh, not, you know, but when ah. we're talking about atherosclerosis, right, it, it, it implies atheroma or this atherosclerosis or the plaque buildup mm -hmm. again inside the artery wall, which can then change the architecture. And then if it grows to the extent of, of blocking the blood flow mm -hmm. uh, 70% or more, mm -hmm. it tends to cause symptoms when mm -hmm. uh, if, if someone is demanding more blood flow with exertion or mm -hmm. doing a specific activity, mm -hmm. they may not be able to deliver that because of this fixed obstruction from the atherosclerosis. So people tend to, and I'll just correct me, people tend to think like carpenters and, and, and plumbers they tend to think they picture things, so they picture they picture uh, out of your heart the size of your fist. It sits in the middle of your chest. This comes out this big aorta, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about the stuff that feeds the heart muscles. The heart inside of it has blood that it pumps elsewhere through this aorta, but actually right 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 outside the heart are branches that go back into the uh, surface of the heart, epicardial vessels. That these are coronary arteries that are about. About the size, what are they, four millimeters? What are, what are the size of the vessels on top of the heart, outside of the heart that feed the heart muscle itself that cause heart attacks? Yeah, so there's, a, there's variations depending Good. on the main channel or branches, but yes. it can range uh, 
the, the main channel, the left main, can mm-hmm. actually be uh, very large in diameter, sometimes six millimeters or, or more. The real um, human being, six millimeters, is the size of a, of a rubber a pencil. Uh, the, ru- a pencil eraser. Pe- pencil eraser is six that? millimeters. Okay. Yeah. So that for, right. for George, this is big. The rest of us humanoids, <laughs> it's nothing. It's nothing. Sure. But, right. but that's a this is the this is the level we're talking about whenever it comes to the widow makers and killing and people dying this is a stuff that builds up in the arteries of a six millimeter this is the biggest artery uh that feeds the heart muscle itself directly is about six millimeters right and then as that main artery divides it's right it, it gets smaller Every gradually divides, right uh and it can be uh two and a half to four millimeters yeah. most of the time yeah so we're down down to a pencil we're down to a pencil lead or the 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 the, the whenever you sharpen a pencil nobody sharpens pencils the anymore point. yeah it's the mm-hmm. point and, and actually to a little a little wider of the point yeah okay. right and then if you you know if you want to make the analogy of being a plumber being inside the pipes yes uh you're looking at the accumulation of the junk mm-hmm. basically that's obstructing the it flow is. down the pipe right yeah and it doesn't cause you a problem until it blocks the pipe enough mm-hmm. sure now my pipes they the, it's the i can if i looked if i cut open the pipe i can see it but this is different in the arteries because it's not on the surface of the inside surface it actually st- gets stuck in the meat of the pipe right right it's, it right. starts in the inner wall of the right. intima and it right. and basically continues to grow inside that that right. section but also it starts mm-hmm. to get into the mm-hmm. lumen or the inside of the artery or the pipe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where then it can obstruct some flow we're, we're waving our hands but people can't see george is very <laughs> good with his descriptions but it's, it's almost forms a blister that's po- blister that's pointing inside into the into the artery wow. blocking f- uh, flow right and it's not a blister with air it's a blister of fatty material. Right. If we were to cut it open like pathologists do, uh, it's 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 it looks kind of a yellowish whitish material. Yes, yeah. and the reason for that is that it's uh, filled with usually oxidized cholesterol or yes. LDL, bad mm. cholesterol, lousy L right. is is, there is you the go. bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, as there's more and more of that, um, these plaques can also get thin walled mm-hmm. uh and and part of that can make it vulnerable meaning yes. that it, it it can like lift up off the artery mm-hmm. wall which can then cause the body to look at that like it's a cut and mm-hmm. it will try to seal it mm-hmm. by creating a clot mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. and if it does that it shuts off the blood flow very quickly that's what a heart attack is wow so i want to make sure because george is giving us gold here i use the word gold too frequently so inside your six millimeter or four millimeter artery is it feeds the muscle uh, the heart muscle itself you'll get a blister of a fat-filled blister that pokes inside where the blood flow is but that's not enough to restrict it sometimes 70 percent restriction that's when george goes in with his heart catheterization to look at it and do some stuff with it but sometimes this cap or the surface of this blister some of it's thin especially in the edges and it sometimes it cracks so you'll get a, a fracture of the plaque and whenever you fracture the plaque it exposes this fatty yellowish whitish stuff to the bloodstream and then the bloodstream decides it's going to use all those platelets and some of the other uh, 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 proteins that your liver makes in terms of clotting and it goes from this fatty plaque that's uh, that's kind of sealed away and then it cracks and all of a sudden the bloodstream it plugs off the remaining part of the open artery with a clot and it Acute clot, mm. yes, and, and the, so that's that's the that's the, that's the that's the final event that that ends up people in the emergency rooms. Good, hopefully, mm. right. So that unfortunately is still 
the, the most common cause for for death in cardiovascular yes. disease is a uh, is basically a cardiovascular event or heart attack. Right. Uh, half the people never make it to the hospital. And I think it's important. And, back back when yeah. we were medical students, it was still half the people didn't make it to the, to the hospital. Yeah. 40 years later, 35 years later, half the people are still not making it out of the hospital. It's still not not making it to the hospital. They make it out. Right. They yeah. don't make it to so, in many cases. So I, this is, I mean, this is a number that I have a hard time believe after how much training, how good you are sure. with your hands. Uh, you know, the so. reason why they're not getting to the hospital, yes. though, is because... Either people are ignoring their symptoms yes. and waiting, and right. then they have an arrhythmia as a result of this mm -hmm. blockage mm -hmm. in the artery and have a sudden death. Yes. Or um, the people around the person that has the event mm -hmm. are not trained in trained. CPR and right. they're not able to rescue them right. in order to give them a chance to survive to yes. get to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So and that's, that's why there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to get the communities yes. and people trained in CPR, especially if you have uh, relatives or friends that you're going to be around that potentially this could happen to them without warning. And George actually spent part of his uh, his career and his life actually trying to improve the system, the, the first responder system here in the in state of Missouri. Is yes. that right? Yes. Uh, and we're going to come back to that because that's – George does everything from primary prevention, which is what we're talking about here, to prevent the the, the, the arteries from clogging and then the, the fractured plaque and, the, the, and to the point where he can also go in and uh, open up these arteries – get rid of the clot and crush and and open up the uh, the plaque uh, or the the closed off artery but there's a big range of stuff but half the people never make it to your table your cath table correct yeah. right so um yeah so the, t the 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 key here is getting to the hospital right uh, as little time as possible whether it's through the 911 system or through we we tend not to uh, recommend people driving their Zero. loved yes. ones uh, but there's always this question, oh, but I'm not sure it's my heart. Right. And so they feel almost bad or guilty if they use right. 911 when they shouldn't. Right. That's right. Uh, there should be very, uh, very low threshold if they're having symptoms that, you know, as chest pain specifically in men. Mm -hmm. Women right. sometimes can present with atypical symptoms. We're going to come back to that. And we'll get back to that, that. that in, in yeah. more That's a big detail. deal by itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's... And, and that's uh, so we were very good in a lot of hospitals throughout the country now. Back 30 years ago, 35 years ago, we were very new with, with, with blood, blood clot busting agents, the, uh, uh, the streptokinase and the uh, TPA. Uh, but now we've progressed uh, now to, 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 to plasties and balloons that just open up uh, the arteries. And now we put stents in. And so we've kind of progressed over the last 40 years in, in my career and your career to very advanced stuff that really saves myocardium. This is the whole idea is to save lives, but also save heart muscle. Yeah. So to give you a, an idea what, uh, what Chuck's talking about, um, the actual, the paper, the thrombolytic paper for treating uh, heart attacks came out right when I was leaving medical school and starting mm -hmm. residency. And so that was our way of uh, initially treating these patients. Uh, what we've learned after many trials of doing uh, what we call direct balloon angioplasty and, and stenting eventually uh, is that you can actually get better outcomes by opening the blood flow by using mm -hmm. a balloon mm -hmm. that pushes that plaque back up mm -hmm. against the wall mm -hmm. and then restores blood flow down mm -hmm. to the rest of the artery. Mm -hmm. And then what we've learned after that is that that, can, that process, as mm -hmm. it heals, can recur and re-narrow. Mm -hmm. So 
we've stents were developed, which basically scaffolds or opens mm -hmm. or keeps that artery open uh, after you do balloon angioplasty. And that reduced the renarrowing rate over six months, for example, from 40% mm -hmm. to 20%. Right. And then further uh, improvements occurred over the years where medications were added to the coating of the stent. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we call it drug-eluting stents, mm -hmm. which is predominantly what we put in now, mm -hmm. which also interferes with the renarrowing process mm -hmm. as the artery heals. Mm -hmm. And so that renarrowing rate is now reduced to under 10% mm -hmm. in wow. six months. So it's dramatic improvements. And so, first of all, you're... Your risk uh, or, or of, of of survival, you know, getting through this heart attack today is so much better than what it was twenty, thirty years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, within our within our practice lifetime. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Without a doubt. So this restenosis, I know we're in, deep in the woods uh, uh, here. This restenosis is not another clot; it's not cholesterol. It's actually scar tissue that that squeezes down. Is that correct? Because right, it's within thirty right. days. So the two things that would lead to renarrowing is first recoil, ah. and that recoil is eliminated by a stent, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then the restenosis or the healing process is more of a proliferation of the cells coming in, and it renarrows as it. Heals. Gotcha. Yes. Because everything heals with inflammation. Right. Most right. things in six six to eight weeks. That's but, right. You know, if you this, think of a skin cut, right? Yes, exactly. And that's true with anything biologically. So it's right. it's the same process. I know we're deep in the weeds here, and it's hard to describe this stuff. And I'm very interested always in this because of how dramatic we've been from ballooning to stenting to drug eluding stents. Um, so uh, let's let's get back to uh, let's get back to um, how to uh, why why people don't make it into yes. into the into right. the hospital and then how to prevent them from even having the first event so they don't have to right. make it into the hospital yes uh, and once again I, I everything is interest of interest to me I'm not a good judge I'm not a good judge of direction of of, uh, of conversations because everything I love everything mm. uh, that you say uh, so what got us to this point in the United States? Is still the number one killer in the United States? In the, is it in the world? No. Is it in the world? Is it the number one? Is coronary artery disease in the developed world probably? Uh, yes, it still is. So, I mean, this has been going on for decades and decades, despite all the research and all the money. Uh, this has been going on forever. Um, so why are we still in this uh, quandary? Uh, and we've done all sorts of stuff. I feel we're nibbling away at the edges. We talked about a little bit of cholesterol and better weight control and exercise and better sugar control and diabetics, but we're still deep in the crap. So let's start with um, after you've had your event. Okay, we know mm -hmm. we know that first of all there are there's a high recurrence rate mm -hmm. of having another event, and it's about twenty percent if you do nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's after one. So one in five people, one in, one in five who've had a stent, or, or just say who've had a heart, heart attack, attack. Okay. One in five will have a recurrent mm -hmm. event, twenty percent in a year. Mm -hmm. Wow. Very high. That number can be reduced multiple times in half by adding certain medications mm -hmm. like aspirin, like a, another antiplatelet agent, whether it's clopidogrel, brilinta, mm -hmm. or prior, there's, there's different ones. Mm -hmm. um, it can be reduced by taking a beta blocker. Mm. Okay, after myocardial infarction, right. yes. It can be reduced by taking a statin. Mm -hmm. And um, there are other agents now that can reduce it even further, mm -hmm. which I don't want to get in too much into the weeds. That's right. So if you, but if you look at that, someone usually presents, 
They've never had a problem with their health, and all of a sudden they're coming into the hospital with a new event, a heart attack. Mm -hmm. They have on no medications, and they go home on four or five medications. And that's like a shock to everyone. It is. It's a big deal. But they all reduce that recurrence rate from 20% way to single digits. Okay. And everything else we do is trying to reduce that risk even further. Now, in addition to that, there's there's higher risk individuals. Yes, those are very special sub that subsets. we want to exactly that we want ones, to be right. even more aggressive right. with because, because they're, they're having repetitive events. Right. They're having another heart attack and another one. Yeah, these are special subset of people that are more than twenty percent risk of, of yes of, of another yes. myocardial infarction within a year. Yes, and and there's a lot of um, many clinical things we've identified mm-hmm. that puts them in that category. Um, so. First of all, having a heart attack makes you first, higher risk. First yep. heart attack gives you a second heart attack risk. Right. And having multiple heart attacks mm-hmm. and having a recent heart attack versus mm-hmm. one that was a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the all the other risk factors right. which become part of the primary prevention, right. which I'll get into. So. Mm-hmm. You have um, whether or not people are smoking because the smoking yeah. can lead to more damage to the artery, can lead to more disease, it can mm-hmm. lead to more events. Yes. So smoking cessation is extremely important, yep. both primarily and secondarily. Always. My father has smoked after, before his first heart attack and went back to smoking after his first heart attack and uh, uh, never had another heart attack but had heart failure. But yes, he went back to smoking, yeah. Yeah. And second thing is um, hypertension or blood yes. pressure elevation. Yes, so um, many people uh, are out there. They don't know they have high blood absolutely. pressure. Right. Um, they come into the office, many people, and have what we call white coat hypertension, right. meaning that they see our white coat as a doctor and mm-hmm. they get stressed they get out. stressed yeah. and their pressure goes up and they right. they think oh it's just because I'm here right. and yeah. so I'm being tested yes yeah, so because they walked up two flights of stairs to get into the office yeah. right so there's more and more of an effort to first of all monitor blood pressure outside the outside office, the office setting, yes. whether it's ambulatory blood pressure right. or remote blood pressure monitoring yes that's right and then you can determine whether you're treating them or not treating them the other mm-hmm. interesting side fact is if you haven't been diagnosed with hypertension by age 50, mm-hmm. the, the word supposedly is that there's almost 100% likelihood mm. that you will be diagnosed in your lifetime. Wow. It's very sobering. Yeah. It's, it com- really it's is. coming. It's coming. <laughs> right. Just because they haven't found it, it's still coming. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to live for another 30 years after 50, which is the average, you're, you're going to still develop it. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, and I, I can get into why that matters, but I don't want to get All too far matters, into the yeah. weeds. But the third thing is this issue of LDL. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, which, again, is the lousy cholesterol, L for lousy. The, the higher, mm-hmm. in general, the higher, the worse potential right. for increased risk for uh, atherosclerosis or these, right. this, this atheroma inside your artery. Uh-huh. And the range here, you know, everyone gets their, many people get their cholesterol checked by their doctor. Right. Mm-hmm. And I always ask them, well, what with results? And almost 90% of the time, they told me my results were fine. Fine. It was okay. I have no idea what that means. We don't know. Yeah, that's right. And it's a different number depending Depending on your overall risk. Right, that's right. 
And so I'm constantly always trying to um, mm-hmm. redefine what their true risk is. That's yeah. correct. Because most of them uh, don't think they needs to be that low. Right. Both, both the primary care doctors or the patients think that they're okay enough, uh, that even if they're on a statin. But right. anyway, yeah. So one clear message, you know, I definitely want to make here or say here is know your numbers. That's right. You, know, you need to know your blood pressure. Amen. You need to know what your cholesterol is, Amen. especially your LDL. Yep. All right. Because you can have fam- what, something called familial hypercholesterolemia, mm-hmm. which is a more of a genetic um, problem with cholesterol, and you frequently will see that there's a family history for premature disease, having disease mm-hmm. in, um, in their 40s or yep. 30s in some cases. Men less than 50 and women less than 60. Yes, age. and I can tell right. you stories of women presenting and we'll get into that again i know mm-hmm. yep. but women presenting to the emergency room yes. with chest pain and and dismissed that's right because right. they're the, too young to 30s have or 40s yeah. blocked arteries but yeah. that's not true anymore right. yeah. okay right. so knowing your cholesterol number is very important mm-hmm. all right um and then if you have disease vascular disease or atherosclerosis really determines whether or not you should be aggressively treating your number. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So um, there's many guidelines, and these guidelines have evolved over the years. In 2018, there was the last major multi-society guideline that most people are mm-hmm. following. Um, but then there was a consensus guideline that came out in 2022, mm. and this is even more aggressive for the high-risk patients that their target LDL should be under 55. Mm -hmm. Okay. So why... What's the target LDL for someone who has not had a heart event and who doesn't have a significant family history? Great question. So again, it depends on their... So in what you just defined, they don't have known vascular disease. Mm -hmm. You, you, You can plug them into these cohort risk equations which Mm -hmm. you can find online plug in your numbers your blood pressure your numbers and it will give you it will spit out a 10-year this is cardiovascular risk this is reynolds risk score in framingham reynolds reynolds includes some other information it it includes inflammation and family history highly sensitive crp yeah but but the others these others are based on cohort data not only framingham but other cohort data and that's been the best predictor for Mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. what your true risk is. 10-year risk, it's, right. It, right. If it's 7.5% for 10 years, mm-hmm. then you should be getting treated with a statin. So I, okay. So let's make sure. 7.5% yeah. risk uh, of, of a major cardiovascular event. This is a stroke, heart attack, or, or, or bypass or stent. Uh, over the next 10 years, if it's 7.5% risk or worse, 8%, 9%, 10%, then you should be on a statin. For, yes. for, this is primary prevention. Yes. And again, never, the variable right. inputs that go into that are, are, are cholesterol, hey. blood blood pressure, age, hey. sex. Right. Any, what other determinants go into that? That's pretty much That's it. Right. So okay, right. a lot of these are, are age-driven. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. So if you're younger and all of a sudden you turn 50, your risk goes up yeah. mm-hmm. like dramatically right. overnight. Right. Okay. But um, th- that's that in and of itself. There's other risk parameters that I will check as a mm-hmm. lipidologist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll check something called a cardio IQ, or you could do these advanced 
mm. lipid panels, whatever company you use, mm -hmm. which gives you a lot of other information, particle numbers, ApoB, LP little a, inflammation markers, things that can mm -hmm. also be used to predict your risk mm -hmm. outside of the formulas. Of the formulas. Right. Okay. And then there's also... Um, you know, lifetime risk. So if you're looking oh. at this and you're young mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, but you have a higher lifetime risk, you might still initiate a statin at an earlier stage. Uh, so because than, what happens, you know, what happens yes. to these formulas and the, uh, is that if you are very young and you have a very high lipids, your youth will cancel out yeah. uh, and you won't achieve the, 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 the requisite seven and a half percent or worse in order to start a statin. Flat, but if your lifetime yeah. uh, risk is uh, still high, then it's worthwhile. If your cholesterol is 300 whenever you're 25, then it's still worthwhile to get on a statin according to, if the, depending on what, what this yeah. lifetime risk shows. Okay, thank you. So if you're, fam if, let's say you have familial hypercholesterolemia, right. you have a very high risk over your lifetime for right. getting a, having an event. You're uh -huh. like 50 times. Is it that much? Yes. Wow, wow. But, um, the belief is is that if you treat that mm -hmm. LDL, which is going to be above 190 or greater, and you treat that to below 100, mm -hmm. you can actually get on a natural history path of someone who doesn't Some, have the somebody disease. Somebody who's never had lipid problems yes. wow. or familial and is yes. not on a statin, you can bring the high-risk person down with the help of a statin really yes. to that level of risk. And in, in a similar way... Um, we also, if they're very young and yet we're, let's say they're 5% risk and they're mm -hmm. plugging them mm -hmm. in their equation, mm -hmm. you might get additional information by getting a calcium score test. Yeah. And what this does basically is if you have a zero score, all right, you have way less than 1% risk for mm -hmm. a heart attack in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So if you were like 30, you know, 39, 40, and you, you got a kind of a, wow, you're very, very low risk for 10 years. That's a kind of a comforting thing to do. Yeah, know. absolutely. I did it in my 40s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I did it in my 60s. And there mm -hmm. was I was luckily mm -hmm. a zero in both cases. Mm -hmm. And yet I still have some of these other markers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I, I take cholesterol mm -hmm. medicine for that reason. So what was the, the name of that cal the calcium? So calcium scoring. So it's a CT. It's, it's a CAT scan. That basically looks for calcified plaque okay. in the coronary arteries. Sometimes your internist will look at it as a coronary artery calcium score or okay. a, a CT uh, calcium right. score. Okay, and then the and then we were talking about the um, the formula essentially. What did you call that, Doctor Tadros? There's one. It's Framingham. It's named after a place in Connecticut. Hmm. Uh, it's called the fr uh, Framingham, uh, and I don't know. Uh, so, risk, so risk you can look. You can look. Put in risk cohort. C O H O R T. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 and that we're going to put will links to these yeah. to yes. these we'll things these. on yes. um, in the disc podcast description, right. so right. so people can find this because I I had I didn't even I didn't know any of this stuff existed. It's incredible. Right. So so again so first identifying mm -hmm. what their real risk is mm -hmm. with the LDL, mm -hmm. okay? Um, there's, and I'll, I'll get into more detail here in a second, mm -hmm. but there's really eight things that can influence your risk for whether it's a recurrent event for mm -hmm. secondary prevention or if it's for that first event Great where you partner. don't want to have that first event. Right. Right. They're both, so, these are all good preventers yes. across the board. Right. Okay. So we mentioned smoking, we mentioned high blood pressure, we mentioned cholesterol. The mm -hmm. others are blood sugar. So whether mm -hmm. you're a diabetic 
or whether you have a blood sugar above 100, but mm-hmm. not at diabetic levels of 127 or mm-hmm. higher, right. you might still have insulin resistance. And That's right. some people actually call it stage one diabetes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, some people call it pre-diabetes. Right. Um, and some people ignore it, <laughs> okay? They shouldn't. But you shouldn't, all right, because it does attribute more risk. That's right. All right. Then there's a, a, what we call body mass index. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the definitions there is that if you're 30 to 40, you're obese. If you're over 40, you're morbidly obese. That's right. And if you're not at 25 or less between 25 and 30 mm-hmm. you're considered overweight, overweight but you got That's some right. work to do so mm-hmm. what we know there is that if you uh, and that is defined uh you know your body mass index is basically how tall you are what your weight is and your body surface area and it's plugged in and you get a mm-hmm. number That's right and we measure that every time someone comes in for a vo- office your, your visit. software does it for you whenever yeah. you get your height and weight in there yes so part of that then comes to what is a healthy diet and an activity level of 150 minutes or more a week moderate activity mm-hmm and then we can get into other things of um, um, is how well uh, you sleep at okay. night. So whether you have sleep apnea, or whether you just you snore, you stop breathing, and which puts you at risk for a lot of other problems besides mm. another cardiovascular event, arrhythmias and pro- problems in the lungs and problems with the heart function and so on. But I don't want to get too far off mm-hmm. on a tangent mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Six. So smoking, hypertension, LDL, glucose, BMI, health, diet, dietary health, uh, activity, activity level, and, and sleep. And sleep. That's so eight. That's eight. eight. Those are, so we used to call life simple seven. Sleep was added. It makes it the essential eight. Essential eight. And that I focus on every time I see a patient, whether it's for primary prevention to assess their risk for a first event or whether they're back from a, after an intervention and we're trying to reduce their risk for another event. Gotcha. Okay. For the people I have stented many, many years ago, when stents first came out mm-hmm. in the 90s, I have people that I did multi-vessel stenting on. I mm-hmm. have a lot of people that I did all these... For those that followed these they, those mm-hmm. seven things and mm-hmm. they reached all the targets, mm-hmm. none of them have had any recurrent events. Wow. Okay. And I mean, this is this is a way of knowing that you're doing everything you Possible, can right. to to modify your risk. So essentially, they had normal lives beyond that um, because they they followed this. Now, only two percent of adults meet all those all criteria wow, wow. so there's always something to talk about yeah. when yeah, they come in right. always mm-hmm. all right yeah so and back to cholesterol which is just to mm-hmm. get into a little more detail there so if they had an event if they had a heart attack our our new target is going to end up being under 55 okay for their ldl for the ldl so we'll, they'll, they'll usually get started on a statin they'll usually get started or they may get started on other agents uh, to get them to that target. So depending on where they're starting from with their LDL, they may or may not get there. Right. That's so, so, so some important information is if you look at 
the different systems in St. Louis, or mm -hmm. if you look across the country, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The data is the same. After one one year after having an mm -hmm. event, ACS event, a, a STEMI, non-STEMI, a heart attack, mm -hmm. only 50% of people are getting to the targets. And that's before the more aggressive yeah. target came out. Okay, so it's wow. it's well, even it's gonna, more than that it's now. Gonna be harder, it's going to be harder to achieve, right. right? So the point is, and that's the most modifiable risk factor is your cholesterol. Hmm. Hmm. Now, the, the, the downside of this is there's still a lot of people who are who are very against statins, okay? They think every ache and pain that they that they mm -hmm. feel after starting a statin is from the medicine, then they won't mm. take it. Now, I'll tell you this, that yes, you can get myalgias mm -hmm. or muscle aches. Mm -hmm. It may be higher than what they initially thought and what they were reporting. Mm -hmm. And that was about, it's, it, it is now about 15 to 20% of the time mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that they will get that. Mm -hmm. And there are different strategies for how you dose it, which ones to use mm -hmm. to avoid that as mm -hmm. a side effect mm -hmm. and yet get the benefit of the statin, mm -hmm. okay? And statins um, are still, we have a bunch of other lipid-lowering agents, but statins are by far the most studied and the ones that mm -hmm. show uh, the best uh, results so far. Yeah, so yeah. this kind of brings me back to the uh, early 90s. Yes. The first grand rounds I gave was mm -hmm. the 4S trial, which mm -hmm. was the outcomes Simvastatin. trial with simvastatin which is for Zocor. patients. Mm -hmm. and, and the cardiologists at uh, the hospital at the time were not treating cholesterol. Mm -hmm. wow. And even after I gave the grand rounds, which basically showed that there was better outcomes mm -hmm. by treating these LDLs with a statin, uh, there was still a very long delay before that was adopted, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and 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 what we're what we're seeing now is we know that aggressive lowering of LDL mm -hmm. has m numerous benefits. Mm -hmm. It's not just lowering and yet the and yet there's some resistance and barriers for people to get there. Mm -hmm. It's not just lowering. The, I mean, we're targeting this target because until recently, until this uh, until this uh, this consensus uh, uh, paper. It was the target for uh, after one event was less than 70. The LDL was still, was it less than 70? Is that right? Before we got down to 55? Yes. That's right. So, um, and, and back then, the, the, the strongest and most potent was Zocor, Simvastatin back then, and eventually it was Lipitor and Crestor and some other ones. Um, so even despite despite the tools that we had and some of the, some of the, the good, well-run, not every study is well-run, but the well-run studies that people were having resistance. It, it's more work, it's more responsibility, it's more follow-up, it's more medicine, it's more everything. Mm -hmm. But but this is the problem we're running into that uh, that uh, that uh, and some people don't want to do these want to pass it back to the primary care or whatever. But we now know that if you're in the hospital getting a stent or stuff like that, that they need to discharge you on these medicines in order for you to be able to continue them because tense things tend to get dropped uh, if you're discharged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's part of the quality. Yes, and and to 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 further that point uh, that you make, um, we know that you start accruing recurrent events after that first heart attack over the course of that year mm -hmm. it starts as early as three months and mm -hmm. then yes. unfortunately the ldls or the cholesterol is not being checked right, right. soon after right. their hospitalization mm -hmm. right. and right. that needs to be checked earlier mm -hmm. and earlier so i'm trying to really get that message out as well yeah. this is basic stuff i mean you do very fancy expensive uh, high-tech stuff but this is basic 
uh, this is basically administrative stuff. Are you on a stat? Are you on a beta blocker? Are you on, are you a dietitian? All are you walking? All that mm-hmm. stuff. These are very basic. This is not this is not rocket science. Right. But we have to do it consistently right. over months to years mm-hmm. because it's not just a one time thing and you're done. This is over and over again for chronic. These are chronic right. conditions. Now the other point I would make is that you're not going to get everyone no. to, to target with the statin. Right. So there are going to be other agents added, and the most recent uh, yeah. push has been again with these what we call PCSK9 inhibitors. Right. These are injectables. These are injectables. There, were, there is an oral one that was mm. developed. It was shown to be effective at lowering LDL. There's no outcomes trial. It's still going to be studied. So we don't have an oral one available yet. There's also a company that's trying to do genetic knockouts. Oh. So you can actually maybe. If we get to that point, um, change that so you'll never develop any PCSK9 and your LDLs will never go up, which means the atherosclerosis process may not even occur. So this this may be a potential cure in the future, but it's way too early to say, oh, this is going to happen uh, in the next five or 10 years. That's all I'll say at this point. We want to differentiate what George is talking about. This is the, this is the problem with drug companies. They'll come out and tell you lipid lowering percentages and they'll compare it to other lipid lowering agents for superiority. But what they don't always have is outcome data. So just because your numbers go down, your LDL reaches uh, targets doesn't mean that the mechanism that got down there is going to help you prevent you from a heart attack or stroke Mm. or death. So this is a big, big difference because the FDA allows you to come out and put out a, a, a product that doesn't that that shows that it lowers certain numbers, but it doesn't necessarily has to have it does not have to show morbidity and mortality improvement, right? Out, that's the outcome stuff that we're talking about. That's what Correct. you and I are really interested in. It's nice to see numbers go down, whether it's blood sugars, or whatever. But we want to make sure that that we prevent strokes, heart attacks, kidney failure, all that stuff. That that's that we're a, to absolutely are, true. So to to expand on that that notion. Um, one of the PCSK9 inhibitors was used mm-hmm. uh, in in patients who were post ACS who have had right. a heart attack, right. and they had imaging done inside the artery, mm-hmm. which basically identified the plaque, looked at the cholesterol arc, mm-hmm. looked at the thickness of the plaque, mm-hmm. and then they were treated or not treated with mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. of these agents. Mm-hmm. And what they saw when they re-looked at those arteries is that plaque morphology had changed with that agent the amount of lipid had decreased and the and the thickening there was thickening of the cap Cap. so So presumably yes and this may this may be why the outcomes for this particular agent is more beneficial and this may be the mechanism of why so what george just described is regression of a plaque uh, by decreasing the lipid, the the, the 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 yellow white fatty stuff, and not only that, it stabilized the cap. The cap is the stuff that cracks and it allows mm-hmm. the bloodstream to see it. And all of a sudden, the, all the platelets clot, and then that's an acute heart attack. Mm-hmm. So what George described was not the end product, but I saw showed that the mechanism was in action that we want to see, that we picture is the beneficial step before preventing a stroke or heart attack. Is that the is that the regression of this 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 atheroma? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So 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 the effort whether there's mild atherosclerosis um, and you're just trying to prevent that first event or whether it's secondary atherosclerosis. Mm -hmm. Again, the point being is do we really care if we have it as long as we stabilize what we have and it doesn't cause us another event 
Yeah. Uh, and it we doesn't cause us it. symptoms or limit right. our life in any right. way with symptoms. And that's this, only a determination you, know. you can make based on the outcomes. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So exactly. that's what George just described as being able to live with chronic disease that doesn't seem to progress to in, in, cause injury, morbidity, or mortality, mm-hmm. which is a different different um, thought process. This is how we and think about it. Reversing it all Right. Then yeah. reversing that, then curing you in the sense that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that you never have to see a doctor, never have to take a pill. So it's very interesting stuff. It's an interesting, this is a kind of a chronic disease model where we're going to improve you so that you can continue life and mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily cure you, but we can, we can stabilize things so you can enjoy your life. Yeah. Can we, safely. can we talk some now about yep. diet? Yep. I, yes. I want to understand what the role of diet is with regard yeah. to cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Okay, so back to our our essential eight, um, kind of diet and BMI and or activity mm-hmm. level are all tied together, and they generally run together. Mm-hmm. Um, the diet, uh, when people have a, a BMI over 30, and most of my patients mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. Uh, the first message I have is we know that if you do lose 10% of your body weight, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you will lower your risk. Okay. So uh, what I usually do is figure, not your body weight, but your excess body weight. Is this is this ten yeah, percent? So, well, just from 40, where you're starting. Oh, from I'm not getting to a final goal. Right. I'm getting to a reduction in risk. So if so, you start at 280, losing 28 pounds. Exactly. 28 pounds. Exactly. Okay. So it's not just the excess weight, but it's just the actually of the total weight, ten yes. percent down from the total weight. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Thank and the you. way the way the formula that seems to work. Is you get to your you get to your target, which would be say two fifty mm-hmm. in the case you give, and then you um, multiply by ten. That would be twenty five hundred calories to maintain that. Okay. But then you subtract three hundred. Okay. So you would want to follow a twenty two hundred calorie diet mm. in someone who is two eighty. And you want to burn 300 calories yeah. every day. Okay. You would lose about two pounds a week. Okay. And over three months, you would get down 10%, just like we planned. Okay. People follow this, it works. All right, if, so you, if you cheat on the weekend, you stop it a couple of days, and you, you binge or something else, or you didn't get those 300 calories, you know, it's all about the reduction over time. Sure. So then you then you it doesn't it doesn't come off yeah. and then you know that's that's how it works. So to say all right math problem everybody take, in, out, take, out. take out both pencils. Uh, so start start it again. So we're going to go. Let's pretend pick a weight. Pick a weight. Pick a weight. Two hundred. Let's pretend two hundred eighty pounds. Is that all right? Is that mm-hmm. two? Okay. Two hundred eighty sure. pounds. So we're going to we're going to want to. Uh, you lose, want to lose twenty eight pounds. Okay, we should make it even. Let's start at two hundred pounds for for us common folk that don't want to carry the the one. Uh, here, so right, two hundred so pounds. So we're going to lose ten percent. You want to lose twenty twenty so pounds. Minus twenty pounds. That's right. All right. So it'll be one hundred and eighty now is your total weight. Correct. All right, and that uh, then we want to take that one hundred and eighty multiplied by ten. Yes. And that equals how many calories per day to, to maintain, maintain to maintain one hundred eighty, which is still not our target, but that's what we mm-hmm. so is yeah. so eighteen hundred calories. Yeah. And when then we want to subtract three hundred calories yes. because we we're, want, we're, 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 we're trying to get a we're trying to get a six hundred calorie a day deficit. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay. Uh, so minus three minus three hundred was gives us fifteen hundred calories per day. Yep. All right. So that's cal- that's just input. That's intake. So the sixteen hundred uh, fifteen hundred intake. 
and that's uh, 300 calories times seven days is 2,100 calories, which is a, about a pound a week. No, is that, uh, no. So it's you a, have to subtract so the 300 another, you're burning. And then you want to do another right. subtract. So you want to actually, so 1,500 calories, but we want to subtract you another You consume 1,500, burn 300. Another, another, right. another 300. So, right. so okay. 3,500 right. calories right. Is, is, a is a pound. Right. Is a so pound. you're going to do a little more than that. Right. Some people will lose one pound a week. Some will lose two pounds a week right. when you follow this kind of formula. Mm -hmm. But you have to do it consistently. Consistently, mm -hmm. and you're not you're not dropping your calorie intake so drastically like you're so starving. many so many these like diets. Starvation. Right. Yeah. yeah, because it doesn't your your body adjusts right. and then you don't you don't and burn it, it. Yeah. it changes right. metabolism. Right, right, right. All right, so that's that's one thing that works. Okay, if you look at what works for your lipids and what works for your risk, mm -hmm. the Mediterranean diet works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have. Um, um, we know that keto diets actually can lead to worse lipids. So, so they, despite weight can, loss, despite despite the effectiveness of losing weight, right? Um, but most of the time, we're recommending uh, the Mediterranean diet. Yeah, it's been shown okay. several years running that it may and, be the and, healthiest. And you know, so the main thing is you want to avoid animal fats. You can go, you know, vegetarian, mm -hmm. uh, if you if you feel so inclined. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Dean Ornish, many, many years ago, mm -hmm. tried to promote that. The problem is not a lot of people can follow it and and be mm -hmm. and get into the meditation and the exercise and all the things that went along with that in order to be successful for plaque regression, weight loss, and re risk but, reduction. I mean, but Dean, it works if right. you can do it. Dean Ornish, back in the late 70s, early 80s, showed with cardiac cath that he regressed, cor uh, regressed lesions in coronary artery disease. Uh, purely on within uh, within a few months, uh, purely on this vegan. It's a vegan diet, really. I yeah. don't think it's even vegetarian. It's vegan. It's like yes. no, no animal product, no butter, no right. milk, no eggs, and stuff like that. So, yeah. so what I like to at least take away from that, if if people are still into eating, you know, it's always a question of <laughs> are you do you live to eat or eat to live? Well, okay, and. Um, I like food. I'll be I, honest so, with you. So do I. So, so what's what's some sensible advice? So, right. you know, my mom always told me moderation, which yeah. I think is a very good still, thing. Still, that works. is true to this day. Yeah, right. still works. And um, I think having, if you're going to eat beef, mm -hmm. have it once a week. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. So, what are your other protein sources? It might be chicken. It might be uh, fish. fish. Mm -hmm. uh, different fishes are better than others. Um, Eggs, legumes. Eggs and all that. And yeah. there's really not a limit to how you can only have so many eggs a week mm -hmm. and all that. That's not, I, I find that to be nonsense. Mm -hmm. um, the bottom the bottom line is um, you need to get protein sources as part of your diet mm -hmm. uh, that you like, that, you, that will keep you satiated mm -hmm. so that you can... Uh, Avoid reaching for anything with right. sugar and high carbs, and that's right. that's going to work against you. Right, right. absolutely. Yeah. So that if you follow those principles, it works. Yeah, it really does work. Very, very rarely do you hear cardiologists talk about satiation and hunger and stuff because yeah. that is that's the reality. That's that's yeah. that's that's the reality of, of everyday life. Is that if you're hungry, you're stressed, you're going to reach for whatever you yeah. satisfies. So you can keep working or doing whatever absolutely. you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. If it's unsatisfying, it's going to be unsustainable. Yeah, it's not as well. sustainable either, right? Yeah. Now, just to be complete. There's a big push now about these injectables for weight loss. Mm. Oh yes, Those so we were, we were actually involved in many of these trials uh -huh. for both the diabetic and the non-diabetic. Interesting. And uh, 
you know, I think Hollywood got wind of this. Oh, yes, they did. And uh, it, led, shortage. it led to a shortage of... Uh, of of the problem of for the problem and the now not only what happened after that is there became a uh, a mixing a company that was formulating it oh oh they were compounding really? it they were they compounding, were compounding it, it oh, and they're selling it cheap that's, wow. a, that's and you don't know out we have no outcomes we have we don't know about safety we don't know anything now they'll say oh it's just the pharmaceutical companies trying to make their money no I I, I would be very hesitant. And I can tell you that this is out there. It's on the I mean, internet. well, we uh, comp- so I, comp- I would be very reluctant. Inj- to right, do compounding that. of injectables is fraught with. Pro- it's got to be super specific, very clean, very tightly controlled. It's it's fraught with tons and tons of problems, tons of problems, infections, uh, mm. f- fungi, spores, all sorts of stuff that, that people never heard of. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a humongous problem. Yeah. So uh, even though these agents are effective. Yeah. Uh, especially in diabetics, it reduces mm-hmm. cardiovascular risk. It, yes. it leads to weight loss many times, 30 to or more mm. pounds. Yes, yes, it works. Um, and it is effective at losing weight in non-diabetics. Right. There's, there's really no low hypoglycemic reactions. Right. They they claim there's really no risk for the thyroid cancer. Yeah, the medullary thyroid that, carcinomas. Unless it's, yeah, right, even right. though we, there's caution in MENs, uh, uh, right. if there's a history for MENs. Yeah. And multiple endocrine neuroplasia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, is it, but what they also know is that if you stop using it, you can gain the weight Everywhere, back. Right? Everything yeah, comes yeah, back. Like all these other diets. So. Everything. You know, so, yeah, so, but, you know, Hollywood is still doing it. Everybody's, a lot of people are doing it. They're, they're, they're losing weight with it. And basically it t- takes away your appetite. You right. don't, you don't want to eat as much. So your calorie intake is less. It decreases and gut. You, and you end up losing weight. It decreases gut motility, and so it makes you feel yes. satisfied for longer, so therefore you tend to eat less. But like anything, if you stop exercise, you gain weight back. If you stop your dietary changes, mm-hmm. you gain weight back. Mm-hmm. These shots, you gain weight back. And there's questions about whether it affects your muscles, too. Sure. It's not clear yet. Right. And there's still, again, there's more investigations going right. on. But yeah. the, 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 again, the message here is I was amazed when I found out that there was these compounding uh, yeah it's comp- it's, you know, it's, it's a, a problem it's chasing a dollar basically. well it's it is and it, they're remote it's not your local doctor and so the people on on the phone or online they'll prescribe it for you because they're doctors somewhere that they hired out yeah. to talk to you over the phone or whatever and get your information and that they can quote unquote legally prescribe it which is a humongous problem right. it should, yeah. it should, we, we should so, talk about briefly bariatric surgery we're going to extremes bariatric surgery is is quite helpful in terms of decreasing the risk for for becoming diabetic or or, or or helping you reduce your blood sugars uh, if you are a diabetic, if you qualify for, for bariatric surgery. Back in the 70s, whenever we used to put balloons in people's stomachs and they eroded through that, we're much better at the things now. Uh, but but uh, so uh, any person who's been suffering with morbid obesity, certainly, and certainly with obesity, especially with diabetes or several risk factors, uh, bariatric surgery should be on the table. May, it may not be what you want, et cetera, but it should be discussed. I find a lot of physicians don't want to bring it up because they're embarrassed to say, you're so overweight that you may die and therefore let's do something extreme like surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it's laparoscopic. Um, not everything is a, uh, causes a dumping syndrome and malabsorption, uh, which is one of the big problems we had with, with, with some of the uh, aggressive uh, stuff that did help people lose 80 pounds and 110 pounds with the Ruin Y and some of the other ones. But, uh, but do you have, you have experience with the, the people? That have so I've had at least 10 patients who have had bariatric surgery. Or, you know, Usually their BMIs are much higher. Yes. 
uh, and uh, they've tried to lose weight, and they're frequently told to lose weight before yes. they'll even do the right. surgery. That's correct. Right, 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 uh, right, they, right. They'll typically lose 80 to 100 pounds. Yes. They sometimes gain a little back, but right. by, by and large, I'm frequently taking them off blood pressure medicines yes. and cholesterol medicines and other things because all their numbers improve yes. after the uh, surgery. It's not a it's not a cure all because I followed these people for years afterwards. They tend to regain maybe forty percent of their weight back, not eighty or hundred percent of their weight back, but it's you know it's dramatic. And then the, over four years, five years. Uh, almost uh, no matter what procedure, they'll gain quite a good chunk of it back. Not 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 mm-hmm. more than fifty percent, but it is life saving, and that's what we're at the level we're talking about here. I think um, it it's funny how our our conversation is sort of going to come back mm-hmm. to the beginning, which is symptoms of heart attack. Yep. I think that's sort of a good place to kind of like Always. end the discussion, is so people understand what the symptoms are. What they should do in event in the event that they're experiencing these mm-hmm. symptoms. I hope you can also mention too um, how why heart attack s- symptoms are so often missed or dismissed in women, particularly and diabetics yes. too. And yeah. diabetics, yes, yeah. So let's Absolutely. start. And not only that, but the false, the false. Whenever they do come for a testing, that we still miss it even on treadmills and other things like that. That's another. Yes. That's an. It's we have layers of problems despite modern medicine uh, and even if people do catch it to, to to come in and talk about it anyway good great okay so um so as you know traditionally many of these studies were done predominantly in white males Men's. yes yeah. and that's improving now but it's still there's still a very lack of uh yes. of look in uh, both so African American and examining Hispanics what the symptoms and, and yeah. presentation all, of a of heart event are okay all the cardiovascular yeah. Okay, 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 okay. yeah there's, there's it, it's improving but, yeah um, but let me say this the the traditional way a male will present would mm. be with chest pain if, okay and it's usually if it's angina angina there's a lot of different ways people say mm-hmm. it uh, is usually exertion related. And it's relieved by rest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it can be described as pressure. It can be described as a um, squeezing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something called the Levine sign where someone puts their fist to their chest. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. usually suggests that it's cardiac mm-hmm. uh, as a cause. But again, it's relieved by rest. It okay. stops. If you take a nitroglycerin... Some people have those because they have a prior history. That might relieve the discomfort mm-hmm. within five minutes. Sometimes it takes two, and it's within 10 minutes. Two pulse. Okay. Two but with a heart pulse. attack, mm-hmm. first of all, the pain doesn't go away, and it's not necessarily exertion-related. Mm-hmm. Okay. It may have occurred with you sitting in a chair, mm-hmm. and it just started, but it's not going away. Mm-hmm. And you may get other associated symptoms with that. You may be perspiring. You might, um, mm-hmm. you might be short of breath. Mm-hmm. You might feel a little nauseated. Mm-hmm. Okay, you might have feeling like an indigestion with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's kind of the classic way it presents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the first, okay. the first set, which is what we call stable angina, you exert yourself. 
going up the stairs or carrying something and you get chest discomforts, chest pains, jaw pains, and, and then you stop and it goes away in a few minutes. That's stable angina. It's still coronary artery disease. It's still uh, atheroma cholesterol built up in the, in the, in the, in the artery. But it's not an immediate emergency mm-hmm. typically because it goes away whenever you rest. Correct. The second one is an, an, a medical emergency, which is the chest central, oftentimes central chest pain could be jaw pain down the arm, sweats, nausea, vomiting, uh, all sometimes dizziness. That, that's a as, that doesn't go away. That's an emergency. Yes. Okay. So good. when we say doesn't go away, how mm-hmm. how long yeah. do you give this? How yeah. long do you try and rest? Right. So if it's so if it's someone with known disease, uh-huh. they have plaque or they have moderate and narrowing or something from a prior or family history evaluation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you would you would say to try the nitroglycerin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they and if it if they don't have it or if it's lasting, I would say more than 10, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. they need to call nine one one. Okay. Yeah. Now there's some other things we try to ask. Is it, it mm-hmm. is it pleuritic? Meaning, mm-hmm. is it worse with deep breathing? Mm-hmm. Is it radiating or traveling anywhere down your arm, mm-hmm. up your neck? Some people have bizarre descriptions mm-hmm. uh, that sometimes it goes to the right side. Sometimes mm-hmm. the, the 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 most bizarre heart attack I've ever seen is somebody who presented with uh, discomfort in the third mm-hmm. finger of their left hand, yep. and that's it. No yep. chest pain. No neck pain, had, nothing else. I had somebody wake up at night with a wrist, just wrist yeah. pain, literally just that it was his wrist pain. And how do we know that it was a heart Because they came in and mm-hmm. they had an EKG done and we can see changes that tell us it's a heart attack. Acute wow. heart attack, right. Wow, okay. All right, so that being said, um, that's the typical way. So maybe 10, 15 minutes. Okay. I wouldn't spend the night at home uh-huh. waiting for it to go away. Yeah. If I wake up in the middle of the night and it's not gone after I'm sitting up for 15 minutes wake up your significant other and yeah. say, hey, I think there's a problem here. Right. And then call 911. If, if, if you have, you know, you, let's say you, if some, a lot of times the young people will present uh, a couple days after exercising mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they decided they were going to start an exercise program. They, they're doing some bench presses or yeah. push-ups or something different. P90X all and of a sudden. And all of a sudden, yeah. oh my, my chest is killing, killing me. It hurts. Me. Right. All right. And it happens two days after they started something two days ago. Again, there's ways to get at that mm-hmm. question, but I wouldn't use that as a reason to not get yeah. evaluated. Yeah. All right. Because, because soreness typically would be the next morning. Yes. Right? But two days later, we would not think it would be soreness starting then. After Sometimes it can as it you can. get older, but not right. beyond two days. Not beyond two days. Yeah. So after that, so then we have to think it may be something else besides right. soreness from starting an exercise. Right. And that program. might be reproducible if you push That's, on the chest. It, is. it might be worse if you take a breath, you feel it more. Yep. Um, and So would that be an indicator that's muscle related right. and not might, heart related? It might okay. be. It's, okay. it's confusing because yeah, that's well, the heart I, is the muscle. Right. Because right. right. you don't want to be wrong. That's yeah, exactly. Of course. Um, and then it, sometimes when the GI sometimes will tell people to take Tums mm-hmm. and just have pop a couple Tums. And if it goes away, then more likely it was it was something GI, maybe like esophageal spasm or reflux right. okay. um, versus a heart attack. Because yeah. that's not going to help heart pain. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's that's the typical way. Mm-hmm. The typical white male, male presentation. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. And, and they don't usually like to go and they're usually prompted to go by their significant other, sure. they're usually the driver of their health care. Um, yeah. So women can get this too, but but this is typically men. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Middle-aged and older men. 
Now, women, on the other hand, they present more with more atypical symptoms. Yeah. Non-typical, yeah. All right, so they're right. not. They may not get the chest pain, mm-hmm. pressure, mm-hmm. and all that. They might get indigestion mm-hmm. or shortness of breath. You know, when they exert themselves, right. they get short of breath. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's what we call an anginal equivalent. equivalent. Yeah. All right. Um, if if it was a heart attack, it would be at rest, so it yeah. it wouldn't be exertional. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times they'll present with indigestion or shortness of breath when they come to the emergency room or when they call nine one one and they're brought in. And then they get an EKG and they find out it's a heart attack when they see the changes on the EKG. Mm-hmm. But until they, it, the emergency rooms are directed that anything between the tip of the nose and the belly button mm-hmm. can Assume be a heart, heart attack. attack. Right. Can yeah. be a heart attack. Okay. Yeah. And, the, and the best way to discriminate or find out what that is, is get an EKG, EKG. early. Yeah. Right. So if you're sitting in the waiting room and you come in right. and they have you sitting out there telling them, look, I'm yeah. concerned I might have having a heart attack, yep. you'll get an EKG right away. And then that can help you find Triage out you. right away Triage if, if it's right really direction. a heart attack or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what George is saying, and I want to know George is very clear, but from the nose to the belly button includes jaw pain, neck pain, chest pain, belly discomforts. It could be pain. It could be bloating. One of the problems we run into is people have indigestion, and this is the problem. They're worried that they're going to be calling 911 and stuff like that and going for some tummy upset sure. because they had, you know, it could be a gallbladder. It's true. It could be a pancreas. It could be all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the problem is we can't differentiate it at home. Yeah. And that's and that's the problem that we have is that we can't do this over the phone or at home mm-hmm. very often, mm-hmm. uh, especially for women who don't necessarily have a history before that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that women tend to, because... Unlike men who have a woman next to him, I, I hate to be sexist, yeah. the woman next to him say, let's go. The man is typically not t- waking up in the middle of the night and yeah. saying to the, to the woman, yeah. let's go. Yeah, so it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not tit for tat. It's not even Steven here yeah. in terms of uh, people supporting each other. Sure. Um, and so the other piece, which is George, uh, uh, is shortness of breath. And this is a problem. We're overweight. We have reflux. We have asthma. We, have, you know, we, 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 we're weekend warriors. We're raking. Uh, all of a sudden, shortness of breath uh, is a big, big sign for men and women. Exertional shortness of breath needs to be addressed, and some of it is very, needs to be addressed acutely, mm-hmm. uh, like this. It doesn't seem to want to go. And George reinforces that you're not exerting your heart. You're not stressing your heart. Right, right, right. right. And, and, and then it's not going away. That's the urge. That's an emergency. Mm-hmm. Right. I think um, you. I think you mentioned before with indigestion, a woman presenting with indigestion being dismissed as a, a right. GI symptom. So, can you, as a patient advocating mm-hmm. for yourself, can you insist I need an EKG? Like, yes. I want you sure, to do sure. an EKG. I would definitely do okay, that. Yeah. And so, the other point that I, I'd like to make with women again, because they haven't been um, in a lot of these trials in the past, mm-hmm. again, they're, they're thought not to have heart problems. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're under tested, yeah. they're under evaluated mm-hmm. and they're many times oftenly mistakenly dismissed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, if, 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 if they could get in and, you know, if let's say it was an exertional symptom, if it's happened when they're doing something physically, they don't have it at rest, uh, you know, we talked about the stress test. That mm-hmm. would be a way to evaluate that, for example, okay. in the office. Typically, we're going to do a stress test. And the, 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 the 
bad part there from my perspective mm-hmm. is we know a plain treadmill stress test is a, is not a good discriminator whether it's ischemic pain or whether it's from blocked arteries for women. So jump back. Okay. Say what a treadmill stress test is. Okay. So you, you have Please. somebody walking on the treadmill and then you, you're monitoring their blood pressure, their heart rate, their EKG as they are exercising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for any changes or any symptoms mm-hmm. uh, with the exercise. So you're looking for both symptoms that she, she was talking about a female patient. She was saying, I'm short of breath or I have jaw pain or arm pain or whatever. And you're looking at the EKG and you're looking at the pulse and you're looking at the blood pressure. You're looking at all these four parameters, what she says, uh, subjective and all the objective parameters. Right. Right. And to make it a quote positive test, meaning that we think there may be blocked arteries as the cause for your symptoms. We're looking for certain changes on the EKG okay. as you're exercising, mm-hmm. yeah. okay? So what we also know is that these changes are not as specific and sensitive for women mm. who do plain treadmill stress tests. Mm-hmm. So we do get that specificity and sensitivity or the ability to say it is or it isn't yeah. with adding um, imaging, nuclear okay. study. The problem is the insurance companies don't want to pay for it's it. It's more expensive to add uh, uh, radioactive so, material. So, so we're often doing these plain treadmill tests to satisfy the insurance That's companies right. when we really haven't answered the question. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a constant battle between the, the, the cardiologists and the insurance companies about paying for a nuclear stress test. Mm. This has been going not. on for decades. This has been going on for decades that that the insurance will say. You know, we'll say if there's no resting EKG abnormality that we want a basic treadmill or non-specific resting EKG abnormality, we want a basic treadmill on this female. And then if she has an equivocal treadmill test, then you'll, they'll have another treadmill with a, with the imaging. Is right. that correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. And is imaging still include uh, uh, stress echo? Uh, uh, that can, would can, be one way. Right. If, they, if they have good images uh, at rest and... Uh, you're looking for changes in the function right. uh, as they exercise. So you get an echo um, looking at the heart function both before exercise right. and then at right at peak exercise right. or at the time when you think you need to stop. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for changes there as a diagnosis for a blocked artery. So we're looking, when we say imaging, we're talking echo. We're doing assessing maybe some sort of nuclear tracer that looks at a heart uh, uh, muscle ischemia, lack of blood flow to certain... Uh, oh, okay. Parts of the heart muscle um, that shows up differently. It's, it's a pic. It actually looks like a picture of the of your of a glowing heart, uh, and so certain areas will not glow whenever it doesn't have a radioactive tracer that goes to it because mm-hmm. there's not enough blood supply to it because you're uh, the, the woman's having problems. So, uh, but but these are more sophisticated tests, more expensive tests, and insurance uh, tortures, right. tortures so us. Just another message. Uh, so. What the stress test is looking for is getting symptoms or EKG changes. And if that occurs, that implies that there's a 70% or greater blocked artery. Okay. Mm-hmm. Doesn't tell you whether you have atherosclerosis or mild blockage. Okay. So, and that's an important point because yes. some people will have a stress test and it was fine. Mm-hmm. And then they leave the office, they go home and they told them, the stress test was fine, Normal, right. and then they have a heart attack the next week. Yeah. Well, how could that be? Yeah. It's because that mild plaque became that's unstable, right. sure. blocked the artery right. like we talked about that's earlier. Event. And that's the difference. So that's how you can have 
a normal stress test and still have a heart attack yeah. a week later. Sure. So I mean, what George is saying, and, and he's and because he does this for a living, he 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 knows this automatically. But what people don't understand about every test, and Vanessa and I have talked about this on previous podcasts, every test has limitations. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a mammogram or if it's a stress test. Whenever people tell you it's normal or it's nothing, there's no cause found, does not necessarily mean that you don't have heart disease or you don't have potential for cancer, for breast cancer, if it's a mammogram. So there has, everything has to be taken into context with your, with your physician. That's why you follow up with the physician after the test, whether by phone or stuff like that, saying, I'm still having worries or I'm still having symptoms. Even though you have a normal test, it, means, it doesn't mean that, that you're out in the cold by yourself, that there's other things that need to be done. And the other point I'd like to make is um, uh, women tend to have about a 10-year delay before they develop cardiovascular disease. Compared to men. Compared, compared to, men, to men. Compared to men. And the reason, it's, it's thought to be the protective part. If, if you're, if, unless you have a hysterectomy or, sure. you, you know, then sure, that, sure. That, that protection goes away and then you're on the natural history of a, of a male. Okay. For your for when you might get the the, the disease. Okay. Um, that being said, so that kind of is looked at as if you've had a hysterectomy at a younger age, that can be looked at as a, a risk factor for So it's a surgical what we call surgical menopause. It's not just a hysterectomy; yeah. they take away your ovaries and you yeah. go through the change early. Yeah. Uh, that seems to accelerate it and put you on a track like uh, like a man who's never, of course, had a significant estrogen production. Yeah. yeah. And then the other other things we know about women and heart disease is that in general, um, they'll they'll there'll be all this talk about the outcomes are maybe not as good in women, or they maybe they they don't want to have surgery, or they don't want to have a, a angioplasty right. or a stent. Right. And what that it really comes from is in general, women will have smaller arteries. Okay. And uh, so the potential complexity um, uh, may indicate there might be a slight slightly higher risk mm-hmm. with both of those uh treatments even okay. though they're still the same treatments as what we would do in a male mm-hmm. okay and so the a solution to that would just be to develop better techniques and, and materials to accommodate women with smaller arteries sure okay great. sure george, george i mean why why is it women don't have crushing chest i mean why don't they have crushing chest pain like on average like men do i mean what's what's I the don't difference know. i don't know the answer to that but there is something called silent ischemia you know where with diabetics and with hypertensive yes. patients right where they they may get these EKG changes right. when they're ischemic, meaning not getting good blood flow when they're demanding it uh, with the activity they're doing. And um, 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 yeah. yeah, for... for <laughs> sorry, I lost but, but, yeah, for, why Somebody don't was want, walking well, by the window. Sorry, why don't, yeah, why, don't women, why don't women have crushing chest? I mean, so, so it's fine. I mean, we're, we're going to keep our ears peeled for shortness of breath and, 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 and tiredness and exhaustion with exertion, right. all that stuff. But so why, you don't can, they, why don't they... So I mean, you can still get the, what we call silent heart attacks right, is right, the point, meaning right. you don't get that chest pain. You may get something different right. in terms of how you're presenting with certain symptoms. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so that that has to be kept in mind whenever... Uh, you're thinking about coronary disease in, in a female. Skipping a little bit to diabetics, uh, this is we'll talk about. Uh, there's type ones or insulin requiring diabetics from early on in life, and then there's type twos or adult onset. Some of them require insulin later in life. A lot of them are taking care of oral medications. Can you talk specifically since 90% of diabetics in the United States are type two or adult onset, typically not initially requiring insulin, but uh, di- usually diet, exercise, and pills. 
Uh, now there's some shots that are not insulin that you can give them early on. Can you talk about these types of patients and why we about the acceleration of heart disease and also we tend to uh, their silent ischemia? Sure. So, um, as you said, the the majority by far are type two diabetics. Right. But yet I've I've treated heart attacks and type one and type two diabetics, sure. putting stents in both, and they've done well. Yeah. Um, the issue with putting stents uh, for heart attacks and diabetics is they tend to have more diffuse, longer disease. Yes. yes. Uh, they tend to have a more robust. Um, uh, yeah. healing process, yeah, uh, which so can lead right. to more renarrowing unless you use the medicated stents. Right. Yes. Uh, they, they tend to have other risk factors besides the diabetes, right. such as high blood pressure, right. cholesterol issues, etc. Right. Right. Uh, the good news is there's many agents that have been developed in the more recent years, and we were, again, part of these clinical trials mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that have, have been shown in diabetics to reduce their cardiovascular risk for not only uh, recurrent events, but heart failure for readmissions, et cetera. Um, yeah. You know, medicines such as Jardians, or uh, yes. you, know, you can go on and on in some right. of these other medicines that we spoke about earlier mm. for weight loss as well. Yeah, this crossover so this, that diabetic yeah. medicines are preventing heart, 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 uh, morbidity and mortality from cardiovascular disease. Right, yeah. so, there, so there's, and then there's other agents uh, for heart failure to, re- again, to reduce risk. Uh, for readmission and for getting uh, right. worsening breathing issues and so so on. Yeah. So, so there's there's a lot of good medicine out there. Um, unfortunately, some of that is is still not always covered by insurance, yes. and yeah. so getting access to all of those other agents. Uh, but most of the agents we know that benefit you are generic and are available. Yes. And uh, can really dramatically uh, improve your outcomes and we, and and your course with these chronic we have, diseases. We have potent statins and beta blockers for five dollars from Walmart. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, for five, without with, with a prescription, but uh, but without insurance, uh, you, you know we have some of the stuff that we, cardiologists need for you uh, right there, and, and ACE inhibitors for for blood pressure lowering. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. All right, so um, you know, just to sort of recap what action points we want people to take with this. Obviously, know your numbers. I think that was a really important Always. part that you talked about. Again, speaks the importance of having great primary mm-hmm. care, having relationships with a primary care physician. Um, so knowing your numbers, of course, the essential eight, those eight um behavioral modifications that immediately affect your um, your health, Dr. Tadros, can you go through those again real quick? Yeah, sure. Smoking and smoking cessation, hypertension, hypertension control, LDL, or lip, uh, which is your bad cholesterol, your oxidized uh, LDL cholesterol uh, reduction to target less than 55 if you're primary or secondary prevention. Uh, glucose control if you're diabetic or pre-diabetic or insulin, uh, insulin resistant. Uh, BMI, body mass index, which is your weight and obesity. Mm-hmm. Uh, healthy diet, uh, 150 minutes of walking. I'm way far away from that one. 150 mm-hmm. minutes of walking. Walking or some sort of moderate activity per, per week. week. Yeah. Yeehaw. And then uh, sleep, uh, the quality of your sleep. sleep uh, so, which includes sleep apnea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the couple other takeaways there um, were looking at your risk cohort. So, that will definitely have a link to that. And that, mm-hmm. of course, takes the inputs from your age, sex, blood pressure, mm-hmm. cholesterol. Mm hmm. Um, and sort of calculates the risk of you having a major heart event in the next year. You can also calculate lifetime risk. 
Um, and then there are indicators for whether or not you need to get on a statin or have other interventions to keep that risk down. So it's not next year. Not uh, There's a lifetime risk and there's a 10-year risk. A 10-year risk. Yeah, not a one-year risk. Thank that's you. right. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yes, that's excellent. Um, and then a, a huge takeaway for, for women, I think, too, is that women and men don't necessarily present the same way with that's heart right. attack symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, don't wait. Uh, don't downplay shortness of breath or chest pain. Um, and then, of course, you know, once you get to an ER or mm-hmm. call 911 or something, insisting on an EKG, especially if you're af- afraid that, you know, this this is something that, you know, should be looked at and yeah. you don't want to be dismissed. Um, I th- Wow. Just so much good stuff, Dr. Kajora. Thank you very much for sharing your wealth of knowledge and expertise with us. I this think we exhausted George. No, it's <laughs> totally, phys- yeah, physically, but not, not mentally because he's got, he's got decades more experience b- packed in his head. And he's being nice about, about uh, downsizing everything so we can ex- kind of put it in yeah. a little more than an hour here. Thank you, George. Absolutely. You're yeah. welcome. He's a good, another good, another good guy. Just a good doctor, just a good, good person to begin with, and a good doctor on top of it. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thanks, yeah. George. So, uh, of course, if you want to give us some feedback and involved with the pod, you can send us an email at notyourdocpod at gmail.com. Check us out at our website. That is notyourdoc.com. That, of course, has Dr. Tadros's original Not Your Doc blog, um, plus all of the episodes from both of our seasons. We're getting ready to wrap our second season here. Um, and, uh, yeah, you'll, the podcast will be available on Spotify and YouTube. We'll have links to some of these important resources that you can check out. Um, I'm going to have a baby in a couple of weeks, so it's going to be a little, you couldn't see, you couldn't see through the podcast, Can't see through the podcast, but I am very pregnant right now. And, um, we are going to pick up again once I'm back in a few weeks and, Thanks so much, Good. guys. Thank you, Dr. Tadros. Fun. Thank you, Dr. Have fun with the baby. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Seth. I'm Vanessa. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. This previous podcast represents my opinions and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have.